people took a ciborium. So we had here a Jesus, there a Jesus, everywhere a Jesus, Jesus. And it was totally, the communion was totally separate from the prayer of the Mass. Am I making sense? Now, hopefully, that now sounds to you outrageous, okay? But it used to happen all the time, okay? Because the Mass, the only part that was important was that you attended it, okay? Next point that I wanted to make, uh, Luna. Just in, well, in paragraph 47, so one paragraph past where I asked you to read, towards the end of that paragraph, they make reference to a prayer composed by Thomas Aquinas for the Corpus Christi liturgy. Okay. O saving banquet in which Christ is consumed, uh, the memory of his passion is recalled, a pledge is offered to us of future glory. I'm paraphrasing it. Okay. You see it towards the end of that paragraph, paragraph 47? Okay. May I strongly suggest that you go look that up in the breviary. So it's in volume three. It's not in this volume four that we're currently using for the feast of better solemnity of Corpus Christi. It's the antiphon for second Vespers at the Magnificat. The antiphon for second Vespers Solemnity of Corpus Christi attributed to Tommy Aquinas. I think the world I do when I have to give a class or a series of classes on the Eucharist, I use that one antiphon as my umbrella sentence to tear apart, explain deeply each of the phrases and then put back together again. I find it a great one sentence summary of the Eucharist that I recommend to you. Okay, now let's move on to letter 54. Jewish community in the time of Christ for those who were very observant they did two fast days a week that they fasted on Tuesdays and Thursdays why those days, I have no idea, okay? The Christian community 
wanted to say, hold on to the truths of the revelation in the Hebrew scriptures, but always wanted to differentiate themselves that they were not the same as those other Jews. And so the Christian community often would fast on Wednesdays and Fridays. Everybody with me on that? Okay. So that our ember days, which eventually, eventually really only becomes Fridays, are from that Jewish tradition. We just had that reading recently from the gospel where he made reference to your de- the disciples of John and the Pharisees, they fast, but your disciples don't. And Jesus says, when the bridegroom is taken from them, then they will fast. So fasting is a very good spiritual instrument, spiritual weapon sometimes. Okay. But different groups have used fasting as a way of deeper prayer and special preparation so that up until up until the time of Pius XII as he makes reference to in this letter Christians usually did not eat or drink anything if they were going to Holy Communion from the previous midnight. Do any of you remember doing that? He makes reference in the letter to there are Christian communities who celebrate the Holy Thursday Memorial at nighttime. And they might choose to eat something rather than dropping starvation along the way. But you can see that because of that, over the course of time, it became the accepted thing that all of our ceremonies got moved to the morning. Rare was Holy Communion given out at the last Mass. Because most people couldn't make it from the previous midnight. It was Pius XII who changed that. So Augustine is making reference to this principle, and George, this comes back, and John, this comes back to what we were talking about before. When in Milan they were doing this, and when in Rome they were doing that, what is Ambrose advising Augustine and his mother to do? In English, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. Okay? That clear to folk? So especially with... Different priests are going to have their different different styles, and you may be more comfortable with one than with another. Would I like to see at least all of them using the same text? That would be nice for me. Right? I think for 
for the liturgist as well. Okay. But where does Father, does Father use a missile stand or not use a missile stand? It's up to him, isn't it? Is there a right or wrong? Okay. Does Father want the, and I want a, a new priest that I've never served before? Father, do you want to use a missile stand? That's a yes or no. Father, if do you want the missile at 12 o'clock on top of the corporal, or do you want it at 6 o'clock okay, with the corporal above, or do you want it over at 11 o'clock on the side where most people put it? So I use a clock, okay, but they're all different on that. And if I'm setting the altar, then I need to know that, right? Which one of them is right and which one of them is wrong? They're all right. They're all right. They're all right because it's not prescribed in the rubrics. Am I making sense? Yep. Okay. So when Augustine, I, I think part of the thing that I wanted to stress to you folks in this letter is the part where Augustine talks about somebody has been to some pilgrimage site and says, oh, when I was at Lourdes, they do this. Okay? And because they did it at Lourdes or they did it at Rome, that must make it better. Okay? You don't upset the apple cart. Okay? Am I making sense then? Okay? There are legitimate differences from one place or another, okay? It, it might be, um, I think in the old visitation church, George, wasn't the sacristy back in uh, where the entranceway was? Right, it was in the back. Which was like the old Roman basilicas because there was always a procession. Right. But those all got moved to the front when we lost the procession somewhere in the Middle Ages. And it made more sense to go the shortest distance between two points. Okay? Your visitation was a return to the older way. Okay? And to say, well, I'm used to coming out from the side. You don't insist on things like that. You go with the flow. Which then is another practical thing is that if you're going to be serving in a new place, okay, you want to talk to somebody on how do they do things in that place. Is it? Oh, but in my church, we don't do that, right? No, 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 no. Okay? Comprende? Any other things that you found in the letter that you would want to draw to the attention of our cohort? Do we know who Januarius is? That's his beloved son, but it seems like that's not really clear. Yeah, that's a generic, okay. dearly oh. beloved. Eh? Uh, the, the footnotes on, on my copy here say that he was a notary, so a stenographer. Uh, doesn't seem to have been a priest. It's, it's kind of like Augustine is functioning here like we used to have questions to Catholic New York. Or, or those of you who read zenit.org, 
There is a Father McNamara who teaches at Regina Apostolorum, the Roman Seminary for the Legionaries of Christ, and he occasionally answers liturgical questions. It's people who have questions. Um, and this is a, Augustine carried on a big correspondence. Okay. The other thing is, have you done, uh, if I say that the fight over the date of Easter, okay, have you talked about that in any of your courses? Mm. Uh, we, we, we talked about, I, I, I recall, I think in basic theology about when we were first year, about there being some, I don't want to use the word controversy, but that it not being clear factually, but I don't remember it being really something that was animated. So what he makes reference to in this letter is that there are different communities with different dates for Easter. Okay, the uh, Easter controversy is the title in the old Catholic encyclopedia that will lay it out in detail. Here's the basic issue. If you're reading John's Gospel, the Last Supper was the day before Passover. Okay. In other words, Matthew, Mark, and Luke portray the Last Supper as if it is a Passover meal. John's Gospel gives a different dating. According to John's Gospel, Friday night would have been the beginning of the Passover. Okay? John likes it in that when Jesus dies, is about the same time of day he's out at Golgotha and his last words in John's gospel are it is finished in the temple after they've been slaughtering thousands of lambs for all of the pilgrims who have come to Jerusalem for Passover they march the high priest out to himself do the last of the Passover lambs that are going to get skinned and roasted for the meal a little bit later on. And the high priest slaughters the Passover lamb and says, it is finished. John wants you seeing Jesus as the victim and the priest offering that at the same time. Comprende? Hmm. Passover day is Saturday, which is a day of no work. Okay. Sunday is a day that is still part of the eight days of the Passover feast, but it is the, it's called the Feast of First Fruits. Jesus rises from the dead on the day of first fruits. More of the harvest is coming, but this is first installment. 
resurrection of Jesus is first installment that's going to come to the harvest for all of us. Okay? Everybody with me on that? So one tradition says because, and, and it's, it is those, probably those uh, Asia Minor modern day Turkey communities that are very much tied into John's tradition, okay, that they continue to celebrate Easter, well, I should say Holy Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and Easter on the days that are connected with the 14th of Nisan on the Jewish calendar. Comprende? Okay. The rest of the church, okay, better. Both that church and all of the other churches, before there was an Easter, there was Sunday. Sunday was the weekly commemoration of the Paschal Mystery. Yes? Okay. We already see evidence of that, okay, without putting it in, in explicit terms. Okay. In Luke's Gospel, that Emmaus on Sunday night is a service of the word and a communion service, isn't it? Okay, so you've got, and he locates it right there on a Sunday. The book of Revelation tells us that John's visions begin on, calls it the Lord's Day. So already by the end of the first century, Sunday, for those Jewish Christians, they still went to synagogue on Saturday, but what made them as different was they gathered very early in the morning on the first day of the week to celebrate the death, resurrection, and awaiting the return of the Lord. Am I making sense? So when Jesus doesn't come back immediately within those first 20 years, like the earliest community was expecting, that they begin to realize they're there for the long haul. And then especially when we begin to have situations where we're not under constant persecution, since we are celebrating the Paschal mystery weekly, when we realize we've got years that they want to pump up the volume and have a annual commemoration of the Paschal Mystery. Okay. But Sunday predates Easter. Am I clear on that? Okay. John Paul writes an encyclical about the importance of Sunday, and he talks about Sunday as the first holy day of all. Every Sunday was Good Friday, Holy, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, Saturday, and the Easter. So we've got this tradition of Christians are making Sunday their Sabbath. We've got this other tradition of wanting to say you can't understand 
what Jesus was doing apart from understanding Passover. So let's keep it connected to the 14th of Nisan. And here's the problem. Many communities, not all, were fasting on the day before Easter. Many communities were fasting completely on the day before Easter. If you are a 14th of Nisan, the technical Latin term for this is quarto decimans, the 14th guys. If you're a 14th day guy, and that's on a lunar cycle, then the 14th of Nisan could fall on a Monday. Agreed? Because it varies. And if it fell on a Monday, but the day before Easter is a fast day. And how could you fast on a Sunday, the Lord's Day? So the one crew wanted it because of its overtones and particularly that they had it on apostolic tradition. That's how their community did it, unbroken from the time of the apostles. Okay. The churches of Rome and, and Alexandria had developed a different tradition on the importance of the Sunday the weekly and putting that as the emphasis and you could never fast on a Sunday the Lord's Day which means that ultimately that is what the Council of Nicaea settles on so it makes it always a springtime in the northern hemisphere Council of Nicaea settles the issue and it says the first Sunday after the first full moon, after the vernal equinox. Okay. What's the date of Easter? The first Sunday, after the first full moon, after the vernal equinox. Okay. Problem comes in when Pope Gregory sponsors a reform of the calendar, because Julius Caesar had been off by so many minutes, and after 1,500 years, there were too many days between the vernal equinox. Okay? And so, in other words, that Gregory changes the calendar, and that's why you've got the Orthodox today, who didn't accept Pope Gregory, are following the Julian calendar, in their determination of the vernal equinox and we're following the Gregorian calendar. Okay? But that's where it dates from. And what is Augustine saying? Which is the right one and which is the wrong one? He's saying neither. Okay. Everybody with me? Okay. By the way, in the Holy Land, because there is so much intermarriage between the Catholic Arabs and the Orthodox Arabs, that in the Holy Land, in the parishes, they observe Easter on the Julian calendar because everybody's roasting a lamb, okay? 
and you don't want to be roasting a lamb when the other guys would have been fasting. So pastoral adaptation is that in the Holy Land, okay, the bishops have decided they're following the Julian calendar. Make sense to people? See what the issues are? Okay. Uh, one other thing that I wanted to... I'm on page 256, if you've got your text. And the paragraph that begins, suppose someone is traveling. Page 256, top of the page. To a place where in continuous observance of Lent, People do not bathe or relax their fast on the fifth day of the week, Holy Thursday. Blah, 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 keep going down. Talks about a fight breaking out between two different camps. And he says there, they both violate the peace and quiet of the church by quarreling about a foolish question. It's the quarrel that's wrong. It's the lack of fraternity, John. It is the lack of charity. That it's the breaking of the bonds of unity that are the bigger problem. Okay. Any questions? Okay. Anybody want to bring up any of the other points? I think it's a good letter because it makes clear that idea of what the important things are. Okay. Now I said I would come to okay, making observations without having been there of St. Francis Xavier. Is there anybody in the group who, I'm thinking of Danny out of the country there in the Dominican Republic, is there anybody who has no idea of what I'm talking about at St. Francis Xavier? Okay, thank you, Dan, thank you. All right, so here is what happened as I know it. Down on 17th Street, right next to Xavier High School, near and dear, by the way, to the director of the Diaconate Formation Program, who is a very, very proud graduate of Xavier High School. Note that, please. And if you ever want to get his goat, you can say to him, didn't you go to that Xavier High School? <laughs> if you say to any Xavier graduate, Xavier, it really gets under their skin, okay? And they'll, they'll correct you for it. Okay. But the high school is next to a parish church of St. Francis Xavier, which has been entrusted to the Jesuit fathers for a very, very long time. 
the current pastor is someone by the name of Father Ken Bowler, B-O-L-L-E-R. Uh, I guess he's getting older. I knew him when he was a scholastic. Uh, he has been president of a bunch of Jesuit high schools, but now he's the pastor of the parish. I'm letting you know that it is also, it's an extremely close to Greenwich Village. It's an extremely liberal community that they have. And so as a liberal community, they have a very active parish council and active subcommittees. And they are involved in many works of charity. But one of the things is they have this Faith and Justice Commission. In some ways, John Tremblay, like Holy Name Province, has got a Faith and Justice Commission. But they were very upset by, beginning with the George Floyd, and then following, following, following all of the things that have been occurring throughout our country. Their Faith and Justice Commission wanted to have these names not be forgotten so that the issues, not them, but the issues that they represent wouldn't be forgotten and not swept under the rug. And so they put pictures of those, not on the main altar, but on what was formerly some side altar on the side of the church, not in the front of the church. Eh, if you're not a saint to God, I don't know, and it's not your funeral, I don't know that I'd put your picture there. But it's a judgment call. Okay, so far so good. They recommended a offering a pledge against racism that I happened to think when I heard it was pretty one-sided, but that could often be in how you interpret things and where you stand on them. It was one that they didn't make up themselves. It is one that they found on the internet that had been published by some Unitarian church in Texas. And since it dealt with some of the things that they wanted to say, rather than reinvent the wheel, that they were going to use this text. And I'm not still not talking about the text itself. So at the conclusion of a mass, after the prayer of the faithful, and oh, not, I'm sorry, after the prayer after communion, when ordinarily that there would be parish announcements made, that he offered this okay, and invited the people to say yes to these items in this. Okay. It was somebody was, as there always is nowadays, is somebody with a camera. And that got on YouTube, and one of the guys on Fox, okay, 
he broadcast it to the world. And he also made a mistake in saying that it was in place of the creed. Okay. Stephen, where are they? Stephen, mm -hmm. in place of the creed would have been a gigantic no-no. Okay. But it wasn't in place of the creed. It was where they usually do announcements. Okay. Do I think it was a loaded thing? Yeah, right. But it, did it say anything evil? My problem with it was one that, and I was talking about this with John Tremblay. Okay? When I was a kid, and again, you people may have aged out of this, that every year we would have in the pews a little card for everyone to take the pledge for the legion of decency anybody remember that okay so that we used to have our catholic rating of all movies okay. not objectionable not objectionable for late adolescents not objectionable for adults not object uh, objectionable in part and then condemned so it was kind of like the index of forbidden books but there was this list that they published often in the catholic papers of what the current movies were and how the legion of decency had rated them okay this is again before your time and in the pews we asked people to stand up and take that pledge that we were going to follow those recommendations. That's asking everybody to stand up. And obviously that there can be people who are silent, but that's not really asking an informed consent. Are you with me on that? And so I think that some of the objection of those who had objection for it is you're kind of implying that my being here is I'm saying yes to that. And I'm not saying yes to that because I think maybe that it, it doesn't explain enough. So my f reactions when I first, Steve made me aware of it at first. It took me a while to find it on YouTube. Okay, and see what Ken Bowler had actually said. Uh, and then to read in one of the Catholic commentaries where they explain the background to it and that it had not been at the creed. So it, one, it always, it gives us the reminder here in things ecclesiastical that we don't jump the gun until we get the whole story okay i still wouldn't I, if it were me i would not have done it okay and if i were on the altar i probably would have kept my mouth shut for the whole thing okay but was it wrong in the saying I don't know that okay and, and it's like 
and again, I'm repeating myself to somebody. Again, this is me, and I'm taking off our official hats. If you ask me, do black lives matter? I first would want to say to you, define what you mean by terms. Okay. If you are saying capital D, do, and everything else is a small letter, do black lives matter? Absolutely, of course they do. Okay. It's the same way that every life huh, matters. No life is insignificant. Agreed? But if you're asking me whether I agree with this phrase, all in individual capitalized letters, Black Lives Matter, meaning some kind of a socialist call for revolution, then I don't agree with that. Do you follow that? And that's the danger of we had a great moral theology teacher, now deceased, and I'm, I'm so sorry that you guys didn't get the chance to have him in class. He, he primarily was a seminary prof, but he made it a point of as long as he was alive, he was teaching morality to the deacons as well as to the seminarians. Uh, but one of the things that he used to stress was that moral thinking cannot be clear unless there is precision in language. Okay. Am I making sense on that? Okay. Defining terms. What do you mean by that? Okay. This is some of the great advantages that both the code of canon law and the the catechism of the Catholic Church is that we now began to, after some period of where there was confusion, okay, we had definitions for terms. This is what we mean by this. And so either, either you agreed and you were on board or you disagreed and you could leave the ship. Am I making sense on that? Okay. Now I've talked, I think too long on what is really an opinion piece but I think it's something that I always want is get the facts, okay? Get the facts. And one, you know, beware the man of one book. You've heard that line? Okay. I used to use the phrase, okay? There's more than one way to skin a cat. Okay, that was why I used to use that phrase with my faculty okay, when I was at Blessed Sacrament in New Rochelle. But then my first grade teacher was a cat lover and she used to oh. take in tray sprays. <laughs> I, I could no longer use that. She found that morally objectionable, uh, more than one way to skin a cat. But now I've spoken other points of view or okay, whenever I get on my pulpit, we always allow, we allow uh, rebuttal time. Probably shouldn't say anything, but um, I always know this problem. I know that we're told over and over again, stay out of politics. Mm. But if people talk to us about political leaders and ask us our opinion, and if you feel certain people are not morally correct 
You're not supposed to say anything? Again, that unfortunately, it's too vague as you've stated it. Okay? It depends on what they say and where they're saying it and whether it's in private, whether there's a crowd around. Okay? Uh, all of those are determinants. So if someone says, isn't the church opposed to racism? Okay? Then you would say, of course it is. Okay, why don't you go to the bishop's website and download the letter okay, that they've had, that they write every few years that this is a consistent policy. We're not in favor of that kind of stuff. Okay, rather than me getting into an argument with someone, because the arguments very rarely okay, become productive. That making sense? In other words, what what we can't do what what we can't do what we should do is we talk principles and they apply the principles according to their and this is a key word and an important one their well formed conscience. Not whatever the hell they feel like feeling, okay, but a well-formed conscience. Okay, does that make sense? Mm. Okay. Now that was Peter who asked that question. I... Yes. Okay. I didn't see your lips moving, Peter. So I. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I'm the shadow. He's got his. He's wearing a large face mask. You, you know, it, it, I wore my favorite shirt tonight to impress you. <laughs> Looks good on you, Pete. Uh, well, it, consider us impressed, even though we didn't see it. Thank you. But, but Peter, do you do you understand what I'm saying? Right? Well, I understand, but it's like it's it's not as simple as that. In that, Pete, obviously now, like during the time of the election, and people were talking about candidates and and so forth, and of course they want to know your opinion, and it's like. I'm not supposed to talk about politics, but yeah. Well, well, you can say is a one of the very proud traditions that we have in this country. Okay, is is I can tell you the things that I believe in, but because of my position as a church representative, I can't be seen to have a public pushing one way or the other. And given the fact that we, the, the right of a secret ballot was a hard fought right that we have in this country, okay, I think that it's good for all of us to maintain having a secret ballot. Okay? And so therefore, I'm not going to tell you who I voted for. This is like Thomas More in A Man for All Seasons saying, you think you know why I'm, in other words, you can only kill me not because I won't sign the oath. You can only kill me if I say that Parliament has no right to do it. And I haven't said that. Okay. So you interpret one way or another. Okay. In other words, do, do we often have 
a whole bunch of religious leaders give invocations at political conventions. Always have, right? Yeah. Okay. They used to be only Protestant ones. Now they've kind of expanded it, and they, now they make sure they have an imam as well as a rabbi and a priest. And so is there anything wrong with Jim Martin, okay, of the Society of Jesus, giving an invocation at the Democratic? Okay? And I have no problem with him giving an invocation as long as he's offering a prayer to God for everybody for wisdom and prudence. Amen? Mm-hmm. But if it's okay for Jim Martin, then when our bishop gives a prayer at the Republican National Convention, that's not an endorsement, is it? No. Okay. Now, there are those who will want to say, well, Jim Martin is this flaming liberal from their point of view, and of course he's going to be with the Democrats, and of course the bishops are Republican, okay? But there ain't, truly, there is no of course to that, okay? And those who are hurting, okay? And we're saying, it's, it's the mothers who worry about their black teenage sons, whether they're going to come home on a Friday night, okay? Whether it's deliberate or an accident, they have a real fear, okay? And you and I can talk maybe maybe more black citizens have been killed in New York City since the pandemic started by other black citizens than have been killed by police in the whole country. But that doesn't make that mom feel any better. Do you follow? And that's part of what we need to to say at one and the same time, we need to, to say, I, I don't think that I would say in a pulpit, although I might say outside, okay? Getting rid of the police, okay? Stupid. I think is a dangerous idea. Now to you people, and I will, who's doing the recording? You'll have to erase this line. I don't think we're recording it. Oh, good. Okay. I will say it's asinine to think that you're going to get rid of a police force in its entirety. Okay. It, 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 it makes absolutely no sense. Okay. Can't be done in any way. But to somehow find a way to address the fears of many. I think that when the George Floyd thing first happened, and see, that's a great example of the issue is not well represented by that name. Am I being clear what I'm trying to get across there? Okay. There is a real issue, and he doesn't represent it well as a case study. Or as they sometimes say, this Doug, bad cases make bad law, okay? 
did Frank send to all of you guys that letter that one of our deacons ordained last year? Okay. Do you remember his letter? Hmm. Deacon. Oh, yeah, the fellow from Harlem. Right, from St. Charles. Right. Okay. Wasn't that, okay, didn't you feel bad for the guy? Okay. Why was he thrown up against the wall? Okay. Because he was a black on Park Avenue. Okay. Should that be? No. On the flip side, okay, or that, in other words, the pain, the pain and the fear are real, and somehow those need to be properly addressed. And I'm the first one to say, and riots and revolution don't do it. Okay? But if we, <laughs> if there will always be the crazies, okay, who are looking for short-term solutions and ways that can, you know, one, two, three, real change doesn't happen that way. Okay. And so we are in a dilemma time. Agreed? But that's that's me. Okay. Stephen, have I been helpful? Okay. Yes, you have. I um you know, last Wednesday night when I got home from class, my wife had seen it on Fox it News. It was your wife that I kept praying for, by the way, not you. Right? <laughs> and I turned to her and I said, you're nuts. I said, we just talked about this. He could, How could, I said, you know, I, I can't believe he changed the liturgy and and in place of the Nicene Creed did this. I, I just couldn't believe that happened. I said, something's wrong. And I tried Googling it and finding it last Wednesday night. I couldn't find anything. Then the next morning... I just found, like you said, snippets, and I didn't have chance to look at the whole. I was gonna. I meant to look at the whole mass because you were able to find the whole mass on, but I just didn't have time to do it. So I thought I'd. I called a few pr priest friends, and nobody knew anything about it. So I thought I would, you know, see if you knew anything about it. Now and, John brought up. A, a, John Tremblay brought up a point. Why doesn't this is? Why doesn't the bishop come down hard? Okay. Some of you have some very responsible positions, okay? And you know that as a boss, sometimes you have to make hard decisions, but as a boss, you have a lot less power than people think you do. Agreed? You have a lot less power than people think you do. From my point of view, a principal may be held in high esteem, but they don't hand out a magic wand to make things better. Okay? And you deal with the people that you have. You can't, you can't fire half of the faculty in the middle of the year. Okay? Because somebody's got to watch those kids tomorrow morning. Am I making sense of and I'm using that as an example to say, in our society, that when, when banned in Boston meant that it sold more tickets, that sometimes making a big brouhaha is counterproductive. Understood? Mm -hmm. And 
that's the kind of thing that you've got to allow. You have to allow whether he, from your point of view, he has made the right call or the wrong call. It's a prudential judgment. It doesn't have a totally right, 100% right on this side or 100% wrong on the other side. He's making a judgment call, okay? and hopefully he's doing it all for the right reasons, but it, there can only be one captain of the ship. Okay? You don't have to like his decisions, okay? but you got to support them. Lucas, you had your hand raised. Yes, uh, uh, in that same matter, that's why a lot of times it's very hard to develop a well-informed conscience because the news comes from all over and you just don't know. They just feed you bits and pieces of news and information and whoever is telling the story is going to take their side and give you whatever they feel like feeding you. Okay. And it's, it's, it no, makes it very hard, especially in these political times. Exactly. And, and so the, if I were one of our enemies, and I'm not identifying which one, okay, and I wanted to take over Canada for all of its natural resources and minerals and oil, okay? This is a great time to do it, isn't it? Mm. Do you think that Trump has the authority to be able to declare war in this environment? There are people who Trump says white, they automatically say black without, okay? <clears throat> you following what I'm trying to get across? Right? These are really dangerous times, right? Because we are, well, I think it comes back to when I'm putting the ball, unfortunately, to your court, Doug. Doug is going to be teaching a morality class. Okay? It's precisely because our country doesn't agree on objectivity, okay? objective right and wrong. And if there is no objectivity, then in fact, Everything is subjective, and if everything is subjective, that means everything is a political decision. And we've now seen a time that's changed in my lifetime where you didn't like it, then let's organize a writing, letter writing to your congressman, okay? We've gone from that of, in my youth to now taking to the streets. In the United States, we very rarely took to the streets, okay? And with when you take to the streets, is, is the one with the larger demonstration the one who was in fact right? You understand what I'm pointing? Okay. That, you know, I, I don't know in Belarus, okay? Am I uncomfortable with the same guy in a democratic system who's been in the same office for 26 years? That makes me leery, okay? I'm inclined to think maybe the right is on the other side, okay? But when somebody rigs an election, what do you do? Okay? And I don't have an answer for that, okay? 
but I can tell you the same way that John Paul would have said to the liberation theology extremists, so not all liberation theology, but if in your battle plan that violence is the way to accomplish the good, okay? Violence may sometimes be necessary, but violence is never to be part of the Christian agenda. With me on that? Okay. So, so, so what does that mean? It means that, okay, okay, if innocent blood cries out to God for vengeance, okay, and we've killed each year more fetuses than have been killed in all of our wars, okay, but it ain't okay for you to bring a rifle and shoot an abortionist. Because one of our principles is two wrongs do not make a right. The end never justifies the means. We start screwing that up, okay? And that there's no firm ground to rely on. So we are we are entrusting the youth of tomorrow 